Thank you, Pam, for the introduction. And I feel like um, when I was teaching, they, you know, I've said this before, they said, tell them, tell them again, and tell them what you told them. Well, I feel like with Pam's message, you basically, it's, I'm amazed how many bases she covers that I plan on covering. We do not coordinate these. I just tell her what the topic is, and she runs with that ball, and man, she's been, she's done a, uh, an amazing job. Um, I just want to get, Julie talked about that thing she was watching on TV with me. I'm a, I'm a sucker for stuff that has to do with nature and and uh, I found this series called Wildest Australia, and I just had to watch it. Well, they went from there to the Wildest Pacific, and it is truly amazing. There's stuff out there that you just, unless you see something like this or go explore for it yourself, you would never know God has created. It is, and it, they were telling about how many new species are being discovered all the time, I, We're not through yet, so anyway, if you ever want to watch it, that's what it is. Um, This is one of those things when I was preparing, I kind of got carried away. (laughs) And you'll see on your outline, it's in two parts. Uh, There's the problem with covetousness. Say that five times really fast. Problem with covetousness. Um, And then there's cultivating contentment, which is part two. You're only going to get part one today because we would be here a long time if I did both. Okay, so that'll keep you on the edge of your seats and want to come back next week, right? Um, I've shared with you before that uh, as part of the background for this series... Um, uh, there's a book entitled The Tender Commandments written by uh, a pastor. His name was Ron Mel. He pastored a uh, four-square church in the Portland, Oregon area. And Ron has gone to be with Jesus now. He, uh, he fought uh, leukemia for a number of years and finally succumbed to that. But as he, um, as he opens the chapter on the Tenth Commandment, uh, he shares this confession, and I'm going to read it to you. He said... Could you handle a glimpse of Ron Mel's dark side? Here's the truth, and it isn't pretty. I have an unhealthy attraction for briefcases. What can I say? There's something about a trim, elegant briefcase that catches my eye. There's something about shiny gold snaps that turns my head. Some people study faces while waiting at airport gates. Not me. I study briefcases. And when I see something sleek and new, professional and suave, my mouth starts to water. When I hear the crisp sound of those new gold snaps popping open, I turn and stare in spite of myself. This past year, I've been whining around home before Christmas, trying to convince my family to be sensitive to my need and buy me a certain new briefcase that I'd had my eye on for quite a while. Well, I was sure that if I just had that briefcase, my eyes would cease to wander. I would be a contented man at last. So they did it. They bought it for me. The very one I longed for. I was elated. But just the other day, I saw one that I liked even better. And somehow that took some of the shine off of my new briefcase. I felt a little like a second-class citizen when I walked through the airport. You see, he says, where does it stop? 
once you start coveting, you're never satisfied. Contentment slips out the back door of your life like an unloved child. I think I've shared this uh, illustration with you before because it was an advertisement on TV, and it's been a number of years ago. Um, but it was about the guy, and, and I don't remember what they were, whose product they were advertising. Probably a credit card or something, I don't know. But you know that this guy has been saving up for this new hot rod computer system that's out there. I mean, it's the latest and it's the greatest. And the day finally comes and he goes to the store and he picks it up and he's headed home in his convertible with, you can see the boxes. It's a tower, you know, it's not a laptop. And, the, and the, he's got it all. It's in the back seat. He's smiling until he sees a billboard that advertises the newest, latest, greatest computer system and his countenance drops. Already, he wants the next one. Just like Ron Mel wanted the newest, diff- nicest briefcase. Someone has said, to whom little is enough, nothing is enough. A covetous person is someone with an insatiable craving for the possessions of life or the life circumstances of others. In other words, it's not always stuff. Sometimes it's fame or power or whatever in others that we might covet. It is more than a casual, well, it would sure be nice if... No, it is strong. I want what you have because I feel that well, it will satisfy me, make me happy, and give me the status that I seek. So I'm going to ask some questions as we begin today. What do you want? Now maybe you have a mental list of one or more things that pop up on the screen of your mind when you touch the mouse. How much do you want it? And what are you willing to do to get it? And why do you want it? You know, the advertising folks have done a pretty good job of dangling all the wants right in front of us. And we may not all want the same thing or things, but I think you could say we all are susceptible to something. And you guys already know what Julie and I are susceptible to. That's why she gets... Starbucks cards, and I get Cabela's cards. We've been led to believe that we cannot be happy unless we have something else that is newer, bigger, better, faster, more efficient, less expensive to maintain and operate, or shinier than what we already have. It's the job of advertisers to create in us a desire or perceived need so that we'll buy what they are selling. The message is that we deserve these things and that they will make us happy. Somehow we'll be fulfilled if we have their product. It's as if they will make up for the things in our lives that we are not. Like, well, if you're not adventuresome, There's got to be a car out there with 800 horsepower or a four-wheel drive that will make you adventuresome. 
And if you lack sex appeal, well, there's certainly a toothpaste or a fragrance that will improve your possibility. But the truth of the matter is, this pursuit of more and more only makes us unhappy. We find evidences of this in the surveys taken of married couples which reveal that the primary cause of unhappiness in marriage and in homes is not sexual issues, nor children, or in-laws, but possessions and attitudes toward money. And it's a problem for Christian and non-Christian alike. The Tenth Commandment says we are not to covet. So what does that mean? Well, kind of a rehearsal of what we heard already. From the dictionary, to covet is to wish for enviously, to feel an inordinate desire for what belongs to another. Inordinate, in this case, means unregulated or exceeding beyond reasonable limits. The Hebrew word is, and I'm not sure how to pronounce this, but I think this is shamad. It's an inordinate, ungoverned, selfish desire. That's the word for covet that's used here in Exodus 20:17. Shemad. It is Shemad that cost Achan his life after the destruction of Jericho. The city and all in it were to be devoted to God. The people were to take none of the plunder. Well, the next city to be conquered after Jericho was a little city called Ai. Not as near as not nearly as big and tough as fortified as Jericho was, but the people of Israel suffered defeat trying to take that city. And when that happened, Joshua fell on his face before God who revealed to him that the people had disobeyed and taken some of the devoted things from Jericho. Well, now there begins this process of elimination by tribe and clan and family and finally back town to the very man. And Achan was found out. And his confession, when I saw the plunder, I coveted it. I coveted Shemad them and took them. And the sin of covetousness cost Achan, his family, and 36 men who died at the battle of Ai their lives. See, sin, even the sin of covetousness, is never self-contained. It always affects others. And again, covetousness is not limited strictly to money or items, possessions. It can involve fame, power, appearance, boy, I wish I was like. Oh, we all have those things, don't we? About ourselves in the marriage. They wish they, we wish they were better. You must not covet your neighbor's salary, education, or advantages. Don't covet anything possessed by your neighbor. So, let's look at that verse again. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, 
or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So we're not to covet our neighbor's house. Now that seems pretty obvious, except that the Hebrew term here and the meaning of it is not only the house, but everything in the house. So that would include your neighbor's big screen TV, their jetted tub, their granite countertops, their stainless steel appliances, and everything else in the house. And we're not to covet our neighbor's wife or husband or son or daughter or any other relationship that they have. And we, and we, it says, do not covet your neighbor's manservant or maidservant. Anybody here have one of those? I'm wondering, I've tried to think of what that would represent in our modern context. Maybe if you have a housekeeper or someone who does your lawn care. Or if you're a farmer or rancher, it might be that guy's hired And do not covet your neighbor's ox or donkey. We saw a picture this morning of a man who was reunited with his donkey because he thought he lost it in the fire. He was pretty cute. He was hugging that donkey and they both had a lot of But I was thinking about these animals were used for work and transportation. So we might say, well, don't covet what your, the vehicle that your neighbor drives. But also in an affluent society, our neighbor might have any number of toys we might covet. Like his travel trailer or his motorhome or boat or motorcycle or ATV or snow machine or personal watercraft. We're not to covet anything that belongs to our neighbor. And by the way, as Pam reminded us, our neighbor is not just the person next door or down the street. That word means any other human being. And by the way, the Tenth Commandment is not a command against lawful desire. We all have desires. Are they in control? That's the question. When Jesus saves you, you don't become a robot. God doesn't make us a person without ambition and desires. Wants and desires aren't necessarily wrong. It is when your desire drives you, when it is out of focus, set upon the wrong things, that it becomes covetousness. And why is this command the last one? Well, I I don't think... You know, I don't think God was... It's like, oh, okay, uh, let's do this in person. Let's see what... Oh, yeah, this is a good idea. I think God put these in a certain order for a certain reason. And as Pam again pointed out, the first four are about our relationship with God. The last six are about a relationship with one another that really is about a relationship with God as well. See, this command, I think, is the last one because it forbids... An, it. It forbids not an external act, but an attitude, a condition of the heart. A a condition which has the potential of being the root of nearly every other sin that we could commit against our neighbor. Think about the four preceding commandments. Murder, adultery, stealing, and lying. All could result from covetousness. And until we've dealt dealt with the heart... 
and the sin that this command speaks to, these other commands will be difficult, if not impossible, to keep. So the problem of covetousness. Two things. First of all, it is a deceitful thing. Very few people realize that they are covetous because they become so used to it. I mean, think about the culture, the society we live in, and how many things there are to want out there. And it just, uh, I had a friend, uh, actually he was my senior pastor, who um, he, he had certain catalogs and things that he, you know, he said, basically unsubscribe. I can't have those coming to my home anymore because I spend so much time looking through those things, wanting the stuff that's in them. Very few people realize they are covetous because it becomes so used to it. Charles Haddon Spurgeon once said, I've seen thousands of people converted, but I've never seen a covetous person converted. What's he saying in there? Well, he's speaking tongue-in-cheek. What he meant was he had never heard anybody say, before, before I got saved, I really had a problem with covetousness. I have to admit, I've heard lots of testimonies and I have never heard anybody say, thank God, he saved me from covetousness. The Catholic theologian Francis Xavier said, I have listened to multiplied thousands of confessions. I have yet to have one person ever confess to the sin of covetousness. The Apostle Paul was more honest about this situation. At some point... Paul was taking a self-inventory and the Tenth Commandment tripped him up. The proud young Pharisee was able to go down a list of externals without a hitch. He was passing with flying colors. Have no other gods before me. Check. Serve Jehovah only. Shall not make for yourself any idol. Never have, never will. Shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. No way. Remember the Sabbath day, always. And so on till he came to, thou shalt not covet. And at this point, Paul realizes he has a problem. He realized that the unlawful desires of his heart made him a sinner before a holy God. Romans 7, 7 and 8. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. Apart from the law, sin was dead. And this comes from the man who in Philippians chapter 3 said that in regard to the law, he was a Pharisee as far as legalistic righteousness, faultless. Paul on the outside appeared to be doing everything right. But covetousness is deceitful. It can be disguised, hidden, a secret matter of the heart. And when Paul was confronted with the condition of his heart, he realized that although he had never committed the other acts forbidden by the law, he he could not say that he had never desired to. Isn't it amazing? Covetousness is something that none of us think we have. 
we think the other person has it. Until we get to the root of the problem, our own problem, we'll never get to a solution. And then, covetousness is a a problem because it is a destructive thing. 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. By the way, that gets misquoted a lot, doesn't it? For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Is a root, by the way, not the root. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. By the way, I you know I I sometimes look at what we call them people of who have fame, notoriety of one kind or another, maybe athletes, uh, people from Hollywood, politicians, people that many people would that others would tend to look at and say, no, they can't at all. And then what a mess their lives are. And the kind of trouble they get themselves into. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Paul's talking about people who have a determination to get rich, a longing for money and the things it will buy. And that's what... That's what we call greed. But at its root, it is covetousness. Maybe you've heard someone say, or maybe you've said it yourself, boy, it sure would be nice to win the lottery. William Post III, known to his friends as Bud, won the lottery in 1988 and died broke in 2006. He spent his 16.2 million dollar Pennsylvania lottery winnings on houses, cars, boats, an unsuccessful family company, and a twin-engine airplane, and he didn't even have a pilot's license. By 1989, one year later, Post was a million dollars in debt. His former girlfriend sued him for part of the winnings and his brother tried to hire a hitman to kill him so he could get his share of the tape. William Post said this, Everybody dreams of winning money, but nobody realizes the nightmares that come out of the woodwork or the problems. Thirteen years later, this lottery curse victim died alone and penniless, living off of welfare Ephesians 5.5 For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. That was from the NIV. Here it is in the New New American Standard Version. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral, impure person, or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Paul here says that when we covet, we are breaking two commandments. Number two, against idolatry. And number ten, against covetousness. 
And think about the destructiveness of idolatry in Israel's history. And folks, it's just as destructive for us. Jesus said in Luke 16:13, "No one can serve two masters. Either you, will, either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money." And remember the four, four spiritual laws pamphlet. Any of you remember that? God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. In there, there was a little diagram with a circle with a throne in the middle, and that circle represented your life. And that throne represented who was in control of your life. So, whatever was seated on the throne was in control. Sometimes it's an idol that's seated on that throne. See, what's on the throne is that which we seek after that has priority in our lives. And when we covet something, we seek after it when we should be doing other things, like sleeping, spending time with the family, praying, reading scripture, attending worship. And look look what covetousness is linked with in this verse that I just read. Immorality, impurity, and idolatry what we would call serious stuff. This is not inconsequential. It is no lesser sin. In fact, it is the root or can be the root of other sins. Further evidence of the destructiveness of covetousness is seen in Jesus' parable of the sower and the seed. Remember, some seed was sown and thorns grew up and choked it out. The thorns represented the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and desires for other things. Covetousness. The result is the word is choked out. And what could be more destructive than the failure of the words of life to do their work in our lives, to bear fruit, because they are choked out by It's a problem. So how do we combat the deceitful and destructive effects of covetousness and and how it can affect us? Come back next Sunday and find out. You can hang on to that outline if you want, or... If you don't, we'll remember to have more prepared for you, all right? Let's pray. Father, thank you that your desire for your people is that we would live holy lives. And so you warned us about the things that are disobedient, displeasing to you, sin, rebellion. And this is one of the things you warned us about. And your commandments to us, do not covet, whatever it may be. Lord, and we, I think we need to understand that this isn't some kind of secondary sin. It's not as bad as some of the other things because, as we've said together today, it can lead to a bunch of other issues in our lives. Murder, stealing, lying, 
So Lord God, um, even as it may be one of those things that we don't even realize is a part of our lives or just are not willing to confess to, I pray that if covetousness has a place in our hearts and in our minds, that You would reveal that to us. Again, Lord God, we go back to where we are as a country right now. If my people who are called by my name would confess their wicked ways, and well, Lord God, this is one of the wicked ways that can be placed in And we would, I think we would understand that it's almost culturally acceptable. It's almost encouraged to covet things. We, we should want more and more. We should have more and more. We deserve more and more. Bigger and better and brighter and newer and shinier and whatever. And yet, Lord God, it will not make us whole. And it certainly will not get us to the eternity that we hope for in heaven with Jesus forever. Do you See if there be any way, any wicked way in us. Create in us a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.